The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. After a week in which the government had wanted to celebrate Rishi Sunak's apparent success with the Windsor framework, the controversies of the recent past have once again resurfaced. Fresh evidence suggesting Boris Johnson might have misled Parliament over Partygate and the embarrassing leak of Matt Hancock's WhatsApp messages have led to some uncomfortable questions. Secretary of State for Northern Ireland Chris Heaton-Harris told Laura Coonsberg he believed Boris Johnson was an honest man. You were a key part of the team who was trying to keep Boris Johnson in number 10 as the scandal over lockdown parties unfolded. We've talked about it with our panel this morning. We've seen it again splashed over the newspapers in the last few days. And a committee of MPs has clearly said, in their view, there are at least four occasions where they believe Boris Johnson might have misled Parliament and the public. Do you agree? Um, So there are four occasions where Boris may have... Uh, done that, May. Um, I was, when I became Boris's chief whip, uh, this was halfway through, well, actually probably a, a third of the way through uh, this period of time, um, I wouldn't have become Boris's chief whip if I didn't believe him that he did not knowingly mislead Parliament. And I, I believe him to be an honest man and he did not knowingly mislead Parliament. Did you ever ask him directly? Yes. And what did he say to you? He, he, he gave me chapter on verse that demonstrated to me that he, he did not knowingly mislead Parliament and did not know... He is a gen, generally is an honest man, and I truly believe that. Is that now the government's official position, that Boris Johnson did not knowingly mislead Parliament? I don't think it was a government official position. But well, you're in the Cabinet. Par- there's a parliamentary process going on, um, and I think you know, we would wait to see what, what came out of that parliamentary process. But as things stand, you are convinced that he did not knowingly I am, mislead I am, anyone? I am absolutely convinced. Koonsberg then asked Labour's Jonathan Ashworth about the WhatsApp leaks, in which Hancock appears to say he attempted to bury evidence that the Eat Out to Help Out scheme caused a rise in infections. Ashworth said it was crucial there was a full inquiry. First of all, I want to go back to this Eat Out to Help Out Mm. scheme. Now, Leicester, your constituency, was one of the cities where there were ongoing lockdowns for a very long time. A long, long time. A very long time. Did you have concerns about Eat Out to Help Out at the time? Well, we obviously had concerns about all kinds of things in the pandemic. And I think what we've seen in the WhatsApp messages, and of course they may well be selective, there's always two sides to a story, but I think many people will be deeply troubled by what's been revealed. It's why, why all of these messages need to be passed to a proper inquiry. We need to get on with that inquiry. Mm-hmm. It needs to report in some f- well, preliminary way by the end of the year. And I also think that Rishi Sunak needs to get a grip of this situation and insist that all ministers hand over everything, that no WhatsApps are deleted. On the specifics of Eat Out to Help Out, mm-hmm. I totally understand why the government wanted to support the hospitality sector. We were calling for support mm. for the hospitality sector through those lockdowns. But cities like my own, Leicester, or Bury, or Bolton, or Bradford, mm-hmm. were in longer lockdowns over that summer. And we now know that Matt Hancock thought that 
the infection rates were worse in places like Leicester mm -hmm. or Bury or Bolton but, because but, of that scheme. But do you regret not opposing Eat Out to help out? I mean, as we heard Hannah say, scientists thought, well, actually, if you get more people together, obviously you're going to get a spike. Should Labour have opposed Eat Out to help out? Well, well, well we raised concerns about all kinds of things throughout the pandemic. But not on Eat Out to help uh, out, uh, if I uh, recall correctly. Well, I, I do recall people asking questions about Eat Out to help out. But of course, when we asked questions, we expected, and I don't think this is an unreasonable expectation, that the responses that we were getting were giving us the full picture. And it now turns out that they, we weren't getting the full picture, which is why we need a public inquiry. But what did oh, Labour... Oh, we need a public inquiry to get... Well, we need to get well, on we, ha it. we have a public yeah, we need inquiry, to get on and it. I'm sure we'll all talk about the public inquiry a lot in the months to come. With Rishi Sunak announcing new laws that would prevent anyone arriving in the UK on small boats from seeking asylum, Laura Koonsberg questioned the government's tactics. She showed Heaton Harris a graph of a steady decline in the number of asylum seekers being returned since 2010, despite immigration laws being tightened in that time. Koonsberg asked him where the government planned to send those who would be turned away under the new rules. You mentioned the Rwanda scheme there. Even if it does get up and running, as the government hopes it will do, it's not projected to take any more than a few hundred people. The only other deal that the UK has is with Albania. Now, Rishi Sunak's proposal would involve detaining tens of thousands of people. Where are they all going to go? How are you going to... Where, where are you no, that, proposing that's, that's, that you send This people? is why it needs to be... It is part of a whole range of things, a whole gambit of things, to try and both um, st uh, keep people in home country or as close to home country as, they possi as, 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 they po as we possibly can, to try and make sure that they are... Uh, uh, looked after in the first free country that they, that they might come to, uh, come to, try and stop illegal uh, pe uh, people trafficking, which is a huge part in this, and crack down on that. Legislation at home to return people who come here illegally. There's a whole range of things. But that... where are you proposing that people go if they arrive here? Well, hopefully we'll get to the point when people arrive here, they're arriving legally, and, and then... But, but where should they where should they go? It doesn't sound here like what you've got here as a practical proposal for the many thousands of people who have been arriving here in the UK. No, so I think I'm not I'm not accepting your premise because I don't think there'll be tens of thousands of people coming if we get this right. Uh, certainly illegally. I mean, we're accepting huge numbers of people legally to uh, uh, to, uh, to come to the United Kingdom. But I, I believe this plan, this complete plan, will do the job. And with the surprising news that senior civil servant Sue Gray was quitting to become Keir Starmer's chief of staff, Koonsberg asked Jonathan Ashworth whether conversations between Gray and Starmer could have contravened rules. We've seen, I think, another test of people's faith, maybe not in the public, but in the civil servants, in the civil service. Now, the senior civil servant, Sue Gray, widely respected in Whitehall, mm. but she has been recruited to be your leader's chief of mm -hmm. staff which some people, some neutral civil servants and some people on the Conservative backbenches and in government thought was absolutely jaw-dropping. When did the conversations between her and Keir Starmer well, begin? Well, well, let me just say, Sue Gray is a woman of exceptional ability and talents. And the fact that Sue Gray wants to come and work for Keir Starmer in the same way that business leaders are coming on your programme to endorse the policies of the Labour Party, it shows how seriously people are taking the prospect of Keir Starmer as a Prime Minister and a, a Labour government. She is a neutral civil servant. And in turn, how seriously we are preparing for I'm the I'm not questioning Should her integrity. Should the British integrity. people put their trust I'm in us? I'm not questioning her integrity, but I'm asking, as a neutral civil servant, which she was until very recently, when did she begin 
conversations with the leader of the opposition. And, and, and you're right not to question her integrity because she's a woman of integrity. So when did her conversations with Keir Starmer begin? Well, first of all, we know that Keir Starmer has been for several weeks now looking for someone to fill this role. She was always going to be on the list when was we she? knew that when we knew there was a vacancy that uh, emerged. She's quite rightly going to go for a process. There are proper procedures in place when a senior civil servant leaves the civil service, and I'm sure she'll set, a, set it all out when she so has you, those conversations. Don't you know when those conversations began? Well, personally, I've not been privy to them, and I'm not, I'm not privy to HR decisions in the Labour Party. But it matters but because it, this is about the neutrality of the civil service and the integrity of the civil service, yeah. which for so long has been something that her reputation suggests Sue Gray has taken so dear. The rules state mm. very clearly, if you want to know, it's in the Directory of Civil Service Guidance, it says contact between senior civil servants and members of the opposition should always be cleared with departmental ministers. She was meant to get permission to begin conversations with Keir Starmer. Do you know if that didn't happen? Because well, I, if it didn't happen, if she didn't seek permission, then she broke the rules. And Keir Starmer then has been part of breaking the rules that are there to protect the integrity of the civil service. But you're asking me to speculate on a process when Sue Gray will outline all of this in the proper way. When but she does will it matter the procedures. if she broke the rules? Well, you're asking me to speculate on something when I'm not being privy to the conversations. That's, that's not speculation. I'm asking well, well, you no, no, if you, it you are matters. Asking me, you're asking me to engage in a hypothetical, if I may say so. I'm, I'm asking you a direct question, Jonathan Ashworth. Does it matter to you if Sue Gray did not follow the rules well, to the letter when she was talking to Keir Starmer about coming well, to work I'm for the Labour Party. I'm confident that Sue Gray is a woman of immense integrity and she will set all of this out as she follows the proper processes and procedures that one does when you are a senior civil servant and you leave the civil service. And finally, with the DUP still deliberating over whether or not to support the new Northern Ireland deal, Sinn Féin Vice President Michelle O'Neill spoke to Sophie Ridge agreeing with Sunak that Northern Ireland was in a positive economic position and urging the DUP to return to the executive. I want to talk to you about, about the restoring of the executive a bit later, but you, know, you say there about working through the details. I guess what the DUP and some unionists would say is, look, this isn't just details for them. This is you know, the whole belief that they have in being a unionist, that Northern Ireland should be treated by exactly the same way as the rest of the United Kingdom. The same laws should apply. It should be exactly the same as whether you're in Glasgow or Newcastle or London. So it's not just details for them, is it? Unfortunately, I mean, I think there's no consistency there because at many times over the past, particularly when it comes to rights issues, the DUP have been happy to be on a different side to what is happening in Britain. However, I take on board everybody's concerns. I think that's, you know, legitimate. People are entitled to express their concerns. But where we need to be right now and what is needed from the DUP right now is leadership because they now, they, they deliberately took a tactic. Um, they decided to walk away from the executive in order to influence the negotiation. But the negotiation is now complete. So there's no uh, reason for them to stay outside of the executive. They should be back around that executive table, taking on the matters of the day. And then, yes, let us work through all of the detail about this in the deal. Because, as I said, I equally have some concerns, particularly around this issue of a storm and break and what that might look like and how it can be used. Because I certainly don't want any deal to create, you know, replace a problem with a problem. But these are things we can do whilst also being in the executive. So I think that's where the wider public here where the local community here, uh, the, the people on the ground are saying, well, a deal is now done, so get back into the executive. And that's where I am ready to be. Because, Sophie, we're about to embark on a period where we will celebrate 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement. 
that is something that's an enormous achievement, something that we should all be very proud of. And something that, again, because we now have this deal, because we have access to both markets, because we have huge economic potential, we now need to be um, bringing all that international attention to our place because of the celebration of the Good Friday Agreement. We could have a presidential visit from the United States. We could have this to become a real economic catalyst that will actually grow our economy, create jobs, better jobs. This would be an opportunity. If this opportunity was missed, that would be so, I just think, so, so detrimental to what we could achieve in this period by working together. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Joe Bedell Brill. If you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup and analysis of all the day's politics. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. Mm-hmm.